Hello everyone and welcome to RedChat. Uh, so we're at Oncology Professional Care 2022. So we've got one, another wonderful guest with us. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, please? I'm Steve. I'm Steve Allen. I'm both the chairman and the patient representative for a charity called Tackle Prostate Cancer. Tackle is an organisation which aims to support local support groups. So we're, we're, we're aiming to try and encourage local support groups to be more active, to help them with all sorts of various ways of, um, of being the voice of their local community, supporting those with prostate cancer. One of the things, I'm a doctor, I had prostate cancer 13 years ago. I suffered quite badly from two of the worst complications of prostate cancer, which were incontinence and sexual dysfunction. And these are subjects which, A, are very personal. They're subjects which men find very difficult to talk about. And sometimes what you need is a catalyst. You need somebody who starts that conversation and then literally it's a bit of a pun, but the floodgates will open, I suppose, <laughs> if you're talking about incontinence. <laughs> but it is something which will affect many, many men to varying degrees. And I, over the years, I, I became totally incontinent of urine. Right. And I have to say, for me, the day I realised that was far more traumatic than the day I was told I got cancer. Right, okay. Because there was no end point, there was no definitive advice at that particular time so to be honest I, I would have coped better if someone said I'm really sorry Steve you've had your surgery um, unfortunately there's a bit left we've got to do some radiotherapy yeah. fine you'd cope with that there's an end point I was told well you've got to wait a year before anybody does anything I was only 59 I was now literally totally incontinent of you couldn't hold anything and I'm being told, well, you have to wear pants basically for a year. Right. I've got a big ego image, and so do many men, in varying degrees, I suppose. But I wanted to be normal. And that is a word which sometimes patients with cancer, in some ways, aren't allowed to use. You've got a cancer, so you're different. No, you're not. You want to be a normal human being. For me, I mean, it's something stupid like, I used to go to the gym, swimming, that sort of thing. It was a big mass changing. I wanted to change with everybody else. I didn't want to see wearing a pad or some awful contraption collecting urine in a bag down the leg. Yeah. And that's something which, like I say, affected me very personally. And I've spent a lot of time now talking to lots of other chaps in similar problems. And like I say, the more you talk to people, the more you realise you're not alone. And that's where support groups come. It's a very lonely time when you're told you've got cancer. It's sometimes a very confusing time. And that's why, again, if you've got a local support group, you can share the experience of other men. Now, we can't tell you what to do. We can tell you how we cope. And it is a very personal choice. So Steve, how did you cope? Because, Me? Yeah. Okay. What did, you, what did you do? How did you overcome it? Well, to be honest, I wasn't going to have any contraptions. I actually did use pads for a year. Right. I didn't use men's pads. I used women's pads. Women have got it sorted, like yep. most things in life. 
you know, you've got this huge range of shapes, sizes, thicknesses. I just found that a woman's pad fitted inside my normal underwear, hence the word normal. Yeah. Now I had to change six times a day. Didn't worry me. But I was normal. You put a white pad inside a pair of white underpants, nobody knows you've got one. Yeah. And that, that revolutionised my life. But what did revolutionise my life was surgery. And I've had an implant of what's called an artificial urinary sphincter. It's the most stunning bit of kit that I have ever experienced. It changed me from being 96% incontinent to being 96% continent, which I still am. Now it's got a shelf life. Mine's three years past its sell-by date and it's still working well. I know it's going to need replacement, but that one thing revolutionised my life. And like I say, it's all about being normal. Um, yeah, I can get quite emotional about that. I feel also it's important for people like me to share their experiences with other people. I can't tell you what to do, I can tell you what I did. Um, and yes, I was a doctor, I had a triple whammy. I was a doctor, I was treated privately, um, and nobody would talk to me. And I was told, oh, you've just got to wait a year. There's no evidence which says you've got to wait a year. I've not met a man, personally, whose continence has got better after six months. What he's got at six months is to stuck with. Give it's really interesting, isn't it? Like now, why? Why? in the NHS, there's a huge wait. Yeah. If you wait your year, there's yeah. going to be a good three months before you get yeah. an appointment, and maybe another three months before you get your, your surgery or whatever. So my personal advice to guys is start, start making a noise at six months. But um, yeah, it worked for me. It's something which not many men are offered because not enough people know about it. There are lots of different ways of dealing with this problem and it depending on the degree of incontinence you've got. Now there are scales that clever people use, how many pads a day or whatever scale it is. To be honest, I think that's a load of rubbish. What is important is what's important to me and I've met many men whose incontinence I would have thought, good grief, I'd never be able to cope with that, and they have. But equally, let's be perfectly crude about it, a small amount of fluid goes a long way on your underwear. And for many men, even a small leak is quite a big issue. So we can't judge, I think, those men on scales. It's, it's a very personal thing. It's about quality of life as well, isn't it? Quality of life, yeah, that's, absolutely. That's that wasn't a word that we used in medicine. Um, 10, 12 years ago. My background was I was an anaesthetist, but I also ran a chronic pain clinic. And quality of life wasn't a phrase we ever used. 20 and that's years ironic, ago. isn't it? That you're in that field yeah. and it didn't, that wasn't at the forefront of your mind with every single patient. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you were 59, and you talked <laughs> about the other maybe unwanted side effects. So at 59, what were you told about the sexual dysfunction side effects? Not a lot, mainly because I knew, I mean, it was a two-edged sword. I knew the people who were looking after me very well. My surgeon I worked with, not regularly, but I knew him very well. The fact we had complications, I was the worst case of incontinence 
experienced in living memory. It totally changed our professional and patient-doctor relationship. And that's something which, in medicine, I think sometimes you've got to be very wary about. It's all fine if it goes well, what happens when it goes wrong? Yet sexual dysfunction, I've learned to cope a little bit. I was fortunate I got some sexual function back. Nobody told me that I was going to lose 50% of my penile size. Now, if they'd have told me before surgery, would I have accepted it? I don't know. And one of the big difficulties, when you talk about these hidden problems, yeah. when do you start telling the patients? But the penile, just for anyone listening, the, kind of the size dropping, that's not just from surgery, is it? That's more from hormone treatment. No, I'm not, I've not had hormone no, treatment at all. So just I've just surgery. had surgery. And if you think about it, you've got a big prostate, you take it out, everything shrinks inside your beard. But it's all about penile rehabilitation as well. Because if you don't fill your blood spaces, they'll contract down. So even when you're able, possibly after hormone therapy, to have an erection, it's never as good as it was if it happens at all. Um, we talk about housekeeping erections. Maybe <laughs> okay. you, know, you could use that in your clinic. <laughs> naturally, younger men have nocturnal erections, early morning erections. Yes, some of it may well be um, related to sexual thoughts, whatever. But it's the only time your penis gets a good blood supply. And naturally, it needs you know, to be refreshed, it needs a good blood supply. It needs those blood spaces to be expanded. If you have a lung operation, what do you get immediately afterwards? Masses of chest physio to keep those spaces enlarged. Your penis is exactly the same. You need so after surgery, we recommend now people using vacuum pumps and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, it's um, I time was a great healer for me. It took me about 18 months before I got a reasonable spontaneous erection, and that was using. Uh, the, the courtesy of pharmacotherapy as well. Um, there are lots of things we can talk about. We haven't got time to do it. Now. We're going to get you. We're definitely going to get you on for another full episode because it is. It's really, really important that we have these conversations. Yeah, I think and use so your too. voice to help improve practice. And conferences like this have begun to open that up. I mean, you look at how popular some of these talks have been. Yeah. yeah. Been amazing. Watching you chair the Living With and Beyond sessions yesterday was fantastic. Yeah, oh, I, and, I mean, radiographers are really important in this because you are sometimes, the, as I said in my talk, the people that a patient with prostate cancer having radiotherapy, you're their only link for six weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, thank you so no, much no, for no. coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it's it. It's been a great pleasure. Thank um, you. It's been a great pleasure.